Philippians 3, 12-21. Not that I have already obtained this, or I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Well, we persevered through this series. And I want to thank God for this opportunity. And I want to thank you, especially, for all your prayer support. I hope you got as much out of this as I did. And as always, let's ask the Lord's blessing. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for this opportunity again to gather, Lord, with your saints, to look into your word and to glean from it. Lord, now, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, Lord, O our Rock and our Redeemer. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Normally, I review the previous points, but this time I think I'll just mix them in with with this last point. So it kind of will be a summary of all of the points throughout this message. As we begin this last point, perseverance of the saints, which is the counterpoint uh, to the Arminian's point, falling from grace, the logical conclusion of Arminianism is that salvation is a result of man's self-determination as he exercises his free will in choosing Christ Man is also responsible to keep himself saved by continuing faith and obedience. Should he, however, after once accepting Christ, decide against him and eternal life? Or should he find the responsibility of living a holy life too great a burden and turn away? He will surely fall from grace and be lost. There are texts of Scripture that can make it sound like you can fall from grace. However, they are usually taken out of context, or it was that you never had the saving grace in the first place. Some examples may be Galatians 5, 4, Hebrews 6, 4, and 6, 
And Hebrews 10, 26 and 27. The logical conclusion of Calvinism is that since salvation is of the Lord and absolutely no part of it is dependent upon any condition found in the elect, but is wholly dependent upon God who has will to save those whom he gave to his dear son, salvation can never be lost. The saints of God will surely persevere because he has given them his promise that no creature can take them away from him, including themselves. We shall persevere because he wills us to persevere. James 1.18, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. We will look at many texts of scripture that codifies this truth. So, we have two diametrically opposed positions. One is an opinion based on the reasoning of the carnal mind, remember, which is at ever at enmity with God, and the other is based upon scripture. Remember what Paul told the Philippians in the first chapter in verse 6. Uh, uh, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So, what does this mean? It means that God, who is the author of the good work, which he, not man, begun in his elect, will perform it. In other words, continue and keep on performing the good work in the saint until the day of Jesus Christ. You have heard the phrase dual citizenship. That's where his chosen have citizenship in the world and in heaven. The elect... Their ultimate destination is heaven. Hear these precious words from Paul in the last two verses of our text today, Philippians 3, 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him, even subject to all things, to himself. So, let's talk a little bit about this power. Notice to whom the Father has given all power, in order that he is able to subdue all things to himself. It is our coming Savior King, the Glorious One. Let us hear the words from the high priestly prayer from John 17, 1 and 2. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. 
Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. Since you have given Him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to whom you have given Him. How precious is this? I encourage you to continue reading the rest of that chapter at your leisure. So, the Arminians, or remember the remonstrants, or the protesters, believe that you can fall from grace. Or that man can reject God and turn away. I know that you hear this from this pulpit often here. That the saints, otherwise known as the elect, can never be lost. Since their salvation is by the will of the unchanging, omnipotent God. Since no condition in man determines his being chosen... Because scripture teaches unconditional election, not conditional election, as the Arminians, that there is nothing he can do to get himself unsaved once he has been saved by God's grace. So, if, if it seems as someone who thinks he or she was a part of the elect, leaves the body of Christ and seems to have fallen from grace, as they say, they never had it in the first place. They do not persevere. As truth will eventually come forth, you can't lose something you never had. Listen to these words from John six thirty nine. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. What does your Bible say? Will some given to the Son be lost, or none be lost? Since salvation is of the Lord, it is evident that once saved by the power of God, we are always saved. Remember, we had nothing to do with getting saved, and we have nothing to do with keeping saved. And because we have, uh, and because salvation is by the grace of God and not the will of man. A little more proof is from John 10:28. I give them eternal life, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. How long is the salvation which God gives his own? Will his elect sheep of the good shepherd ever perish? Whose word do we take, man's or God's? Why is it that some will take an unclear passage of Scripture and attempt to erase or meddle the very clear passages? Could it be because they will not have salvation by God's sovereign grace, but will have salvation by their own own work of faith or none at all? It's easy to understand this because we, as sinners, also want to have a little piece of the glory, but we don't get any.
We get none. Hear these precious words of Peter, who wrote that the elect are destined to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That's First Peter chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. We are predestined into heaven because God has elected us to glory. As in 2 Thessalonians 2.14, To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Heaven is our home. The glory of that heavenly dwelling is our inheritance because God has freely willed it so by his grace. Our closing hymn today, also one of my favorites, taken from 2 Timothy 1, 12b, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. It reads a little different from this version than the ESV, but the the words fit the hymn. (laughs) So, let's take a look at the text today. Philippians 3, verses 12 through 21. If there would be a doctrine for this whole series, it would have to be our God is sovereign. We are studying a little book in our adult Sunday school class about what it means that God is sovereign. It's hard to grasp the whole meaning of a sovereign God. He is all-knowing and all-powerful and has all authority over all things from creation to redemption. All right, verses 12 and 13. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. What's Paul saying here? The prize of salvation in, uh, in its fullness has not yet been won. Believers do not yet fully experience all the benefits of redemption, for we wait our glorification. We persevere. Verse 14, I press on towards the goal for the prize is of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul and the elect have already been given to Christ, thus striving to continue being faithful and obedient is the goal here. We persevere. In verse 15, let those of us who are mature think 
this way. And if any uh, and in and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Okay. Here we have some folks that think they may have already achieved this perfection. Mature. Maybe you have run across some who think they may be in this category. They are out there. Maybe Paul has to help them realize that maybe they're using the wrong measuring stick. The only one perfect being at this point is Christ perfection. You can reference Ephesians 4.13. Sometimes there's grace involved as we persevere. Verse 16. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. This is a powerful few little words. And wise. Think about it. We can have dreams and aspirations as to what we think may come to pass. However, the only thing that we really should focus on or boast about are the things that the Lord has given or showed us, right? Makes sense. We keep persevering. Okay, verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul may be bragging here a little. I don't know. We know that Paul is definitely walking in the footsteps of Christ. He's encouraging others to do this as well. But some are not. But think they are. Are we guilty of this too? Sometimes we see those that we think have it all together and desire to be more like them. When in reality... We need to be more like the Savior. Verse 18 and 19 says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. For many? Who's Paul talking about here? He's talking to those who have been around for a while, at least some of them, false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as followers of Christ. He is now trying to warn them, even to tears, it says. Deep down, they are enemies of Christ. He is warning them that their end is destruction. There is only one supreme being, that being God. I don't want to get too deep in the weeds here. 
But there are uh, those in the world today who are trying to be supreme beings as well. They have a great many followers. And they have to be called out as Paul is calling these out. They have a lot of money. And money is power in this world. Their belly, as it says. We have to pray that God, the only true supreme being, will intercede. We can understand how Paul is weeping to tears over this. We hate to see this division. Remember when I shared with you about the second in power, Satan? We have to think about fighting against the principalities of power. Paul is continuing to persevere here, and so should we. Verse uh, 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject to all things himself. We spoke earlier about this verse. Isn't this some glorious encouragement? We will be citizens of heaven. It's a small wonder that Paul, knowing that the omnipotent creator had made him and his church the object of eternal love. 2 Timothy 4.18 The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Gotta love these words. Who is it that preserves the believer blameless until he comes for us? Who is it that is faithful? Who is it that will do this marvelous work of sanctifying and keeping? It is our Lord Jesus Christ, of course. The saints persevere because he perseveres. We are not kept in small pieces either. We are kept complete, spirit and soul and body. Listen to this beautiful doxology at the end of Jude, verses 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forever. We hear these words often, but they should never get old. Yes, the saints will persevere because the Savior declares that He will persevere on their behalf. He will keep them. If perseverance depended upon fickle man with with a fallen sin nature, he would be hopeless. 
Perseverance of the saints is dependent upon irresistible grace granted us because Christ died for us since the atonement we have by his blood was limited to the elect. That election, praise the Lord, was not based upon some condition of good foreknown to be in us since there is none good, no, not one. By the grace of God, it was unconditional election because no condition could be found. No condition could be found because man is totally depraved, totally incapable of exercising goodwill toward God, wholly impotent to call himself to life, or to free himself from the superhuman power of the God of the dead. Before we close this morning, I want to share with you that not all believe in this doctrine of Calvinism. There are denominational traditions, human reasoning, and doctrine based upon emotions that will cause derision between them and us. As we believe that this Reformation doctrine is Bible doctrine, we also must be patient with those who believe otherwise. We can only pray that the Holy Spirit will illumine our hearts in order that we may live peaceably or peaceable and love one another and grow together in the knowledge of the truth. We serve a sovereign God. Remember that maverick molecule? He chose his elect before the foundation of the world. In other words, before God said, let there be light, his people were his. I wanted to also acknowledge the author of this little book that was such a great help to me as I went through this series of TULIP. It's by Dwayne Edward Spencer. This little booklet has been around since the late 70s. And I encourage you to read it if you want to learn more about this wonderful doctrine of Calvinism. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we do thank you, Lord, for this, again, this opportunity to look at your word and to glean from it. We thank you, Lord, for this wonderful doctrine of Calvinism. Lord, we do pray that as we go through this life that we will continue to embolden your people as we share this wonderful doctrine. And we uh, just praise you for choosing us, Lord, or choosing your people before the foundation of the world. We pray in the blessed name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.